Happy New Year, and welcome to episode 83 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Izagari. And today we are talking about When Harry Met Sally from 1989, which received a nomination for Best Original Screenplay at the 62nd Academy Awards. This is a film I've been kind of in love with for a long time. And uh, Connor, I was glad to kind of show you this one. I know your uh, relationship with the rom-com genre is not the strongest, but I think I think Nora Ephron, uh, especially with Rob Reiner, is, is one of the ways you can kind of turn that around. Yeah, I think, you know, Nora Ephron had something special. She had this ability to just combine realistic characters with sappy, like just enough sappiness with, with just enough heart into this cocktail that just worked numerous times. And yeah, I think I needed to watch some of her movies to finally at least start to kind of understand this subgenre. Uh, and here we are. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it's a, a genre that was thriving at this time, mainly because of of, of people like Nora Ephron in the '80s and '90s. Uh, definitely has had a weird life during the 2010s. There's some there's some gems out there. You know, I think one of the best rom coms ever came out in uh, 2017, The Big Sick. The movie's like unbelievable. Uh, a movie that I think should have like been up for best picture type type deal it's like a it's just awesome so there's those gems out there but it was really thriving at this time and when you have people like billy crystal and you know tom hanks and meg ryan at the forefront these really good actors uh giving giving noteworthy performances not just kind of phoning it in it really it really helps it out and i think when harry met sally is at the kind of the the peak the peak of the peak of rom-coms and is the one that you can always kind of look back to is as maybe the goat of, of the genre. So I'm really excited to talk about it today. Uh, we're we're going to go through some individuals that have been nominated from, <clears throat> from uh, When Harry Met Sally, some different people. There's only four. Uh, then we're going to look at the crazy 62nd Academy Awards, which is just a bonkers show with a lot of, a lot of amazing movies were nominated that year. Overall, a good ceremony, but it just has that bad taste from the Best Picture win. For driving Stacy, so I want to look at that stuff for sure, uh, and then we'll we'll give our own awards out. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a nice easy first episode of Oscar Sunday for 2022. Uh, really crazy to, to to say that out loud. 2022, what in the world, you know? Uh, and we've been doing this for about a year and a half. Uh, this show, Oscar Sunday, uh, and we we got some really really cool stuff planned out for January. So stick with us. This episode at the end, we'll tell you what we're doing next week. And we also have a new show coming out this week, I believe on Friday. So it's the very first episode. So hang with us, get through this uh, when Harry met Sally action. Um, let's start with uh, let's start with Rob Reiner. Uh, <laughs> this guy's awesome. <laughs> I think I think the first time I recognized who he was and what he meant, and oh, that's the guy who's done all these different things, directed these movies, and been in a bunch of movies, was when I saw Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, in, in 2013 because he plays Leonardo DiCaprio's dad. And I was like, wait, that's the guy who directed all these movies and, and was a part of all these, you know, kind of, kind of hits throughout Hollywood in the eighties and nineties. Uh, he's, 
He's the director of When, when Harry Met Sally. He also is famous for A Few Good Men from 1992. Uh, and that's his only nomination. Is That movie was up for Best Picture, and he was a part producer. So that's his only nomination. But he's got a really cool career and has, has won Emmys uh, for All in the Family, his uh, performances in that. Uh, he's from just that show. He has five total nominations, two wins. Pretty cool at the Emmys. Uh, the BAFTA Awards, he was, they were nominated for Best Film for When Harry Met Sally. So, you know, he's, he's, got, he's got a cool resume. But when it comes to the Oscars, just that one, one nomination from the early 90s. Yeah, Rob Reiner is one of those unsung heroes of the 80s, almost. I mean, his movie, I mean, just, you know, This is Spinal Tap, The Princess Bride, Stand By Me. Holy shit. Um, mm-hmm. And then into the 90s, you've got, you know, A Few Good Men and fucking Misery. Yeah, I mean, what the hell? It's it's amazing. Uh, and he's a pretty talented actor, too. Uh, he's kind of a versatile, versatile guy. And I, I love his uh, his career. I wish he'd had more uh, Oscar attention. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Do you remember when you kind of put two and two together and like figure out this, that this is the guy who's done all these different movies? Uh, when I watched This is Spinal Tap for the first time, uh, mm. I saw the name and I'm like, I've seen that name. And then I watched Misery again, and I'm like, oh, Rob Reiner. And then I watched The Princess Bride again, and I'm like, wait a minute, Rob Reiner. He just kept popping up in stuff I already loved once I was paying attention to names. And now he's in there forever. Yeah, yeah, I I love it. He's so good in Wolf of Wall Street as the dad. And there's that one particular scene uh, when he's confronting them about, uh, he's confronting Jonah Hill and Leonardo DiCaprio about all the money they've spent. And he's like, what is this? What is this, Jordy? <laughs> and Jonah Hill's like, oh, no, that was, you know, it's like clearly a, a like a, a service for strippers. <laughs> he's like, oh, no, no, that was a fancy, you know, dinner we had to do for uh, for a meeting. And he's like, don't fucking play me like that. Come on. <laughs> I, I was I immediately was like, OK, that's that's the guy who's done all these amazing movies and been in a bunch of amazing movies and done TV work. He's just kind of kind of a titan. and been around for a long long time he's a, he's a new yorker at heart you can feel it and when harry met sally you can feel his connection to the city uh you can feel his love for the city and i would love to think that some of billy crystal's harry burns is 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 part rob reiner right you know i think i think that's always true same with the Nora efron for uh meg ryan in this movie so i love that and of course next we got to talk about Nora efron who now passed away uh 10 years ago she passed away in 2012 and was kind of fucking dominating for like three decades straight. She just has uh, uncanny ability to write, write, write movies, meaning she, she doesn't make it too realistic to where it's going to fucking just like hurt you and, and like break you like, like someone like uh, what's a more recent one, like before midnight, uh, uh, you know, the, the before trilogy that Linklater did, all, all those movies are like, just like pulverize you. And you're like, oh, fuck, you know, Nora had an ability to do that, but also pull like pull you back in and keep you really entertained yeah. and keep it sweet, keep it cute. And I love that about her. Well, I like the before trilogy. I like realistic stories. But when it comes to realistic love stories, those can be fucking painful sometimes. Like they can really just like make you lose hope in humanity, make you think you're going to be alone forever. Shit like that. And then on the other side, there can be stories that are so outrageous, you just can't connect to it. Yeah. But Nora Ephron dipped in both of those and created 
her own style that still resonates with people today. I mean, these are movies that have lasted decades because of how relatable they are. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think for sure, uh, you know, she, she stepped into the director's chair every now and again, right. You know, for, for like, I think her most famous one would be sleepless in Seattle. And, and I like that, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm usually a bigger fan. I, I love when people do both and they kind of do everything and it's like they're a baby, but I really like a good combination of a writer who's got this vision for, for what's going to be said and how it's going to go. And then a director who comes in and sees that reads that and, and kind of puts their own spin on it. So I do think when Harry met Sally is her, her masterpiece, but she's not doing everything in it, you know, like, like sleepless, sleepless in Seattle. Uh, she's been nominated three times by the Academy, which is just not, it's sad, but, and I think it has to be brought up. It just does not happen a lot for, for female writers. It just does not happen where they do that well uh, when it comes to like an Oscar resume within, especially these categories, right? Directing and writing. It's always been a male dominated uh, industry. And I, I think it's, you know, I think we're seeing, we're, we're in the, we're in the middle of seeing change for the better. Uh, as, as movies are, are coming out, you know, and there's people like Maggie Gyllenhaal and Regina King who are being able to now direct their own films. And that's really cool. I like seeing those changes. I think Nora Ephron's a, a fucking pioneer and these movies uh, that she's been nominated for uh, you and I have both seen two of them, but there's one that's just kind of elusive and you can't, you like can't fucking find uh, that's Silkwood from 1983. That was nominated for best screenplay. When Harry met Sally in 1989, nominated for best screenplay and then sleepless in seattle uh 1993 nominated for best screenplay so quit i gotta get to this movie it's fucking kurt russell Cher, and meryl streep like come on <laughs> i gotta see this movie i've heard great things about it uh it's letterbox scores are pretty good i just i i don't know where to find it i did find it it's uh i can get it through netflix mail so i have that coming in the next couple of weeks just so we can watch it Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm dying. You know, I, I obviously want to talk about it on this show, but I need, I need that closure. <laughs> I, I find it weirdly hilarious that the movie is about like corporate espionage and we can't find it. Yeah. 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 I know. And I was reading letterbox reviews and people kind of raving about it and talking about how exactly that, how the irony of that it's, it's, it's nowhere to be found. <laughs> it's not streaming anywhere. It's really hard to find on DVD. So that's great to hear that we're going to be able to see it soon because that cast is to die for. Like, holy shit. Assuming <laughs> I, the, I like, can't wait. the mail truck doesn't like burst into flames randomly or some shit or Netflix doesn't completely collapse. Who knows? Yeah. Then we'll know. <laughs> yeah. Ah, fuck. These guys want Silkwood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, the nomination for When Harry Met Sally, we're definitely going to talk a lot about that category because it's a fucking fascinating category and I can't wait to talk about it later. But well-deserved, well-deserved nomination. And Sleepless in Seattle. Uh, like I said, she also directed that one. This is well-deserved, I think, too. Sleepless in Seattle. I don't like it as much as When Harry Met Sally, but it's cute. It's fun. It's endearing. It's not nearly as believable, in my opinion. Um, it's, it's a little out there, right? But it's still it's still really cute. And you have Meg Ryan and, and Tom Hanks, who, who, who are just fucking wonderful together. And they, they take that to the next level. In uh, 1998's You've Got Mail, also written by Nora Ephron. Uh, that's a great movie. It's on HBO Max right now. Uh, she's just, yeah, Nora, Nora was crushing it in the 80s and 90s. And uh, I, I love that we get to talk about someone like her right here on the show. Yeah, it's cool. It's a, she's a, uh, 
a writer director I had not uh, explored. And now that I've seen some of her like best work, I definitely want to keep looking. Um, Sleepless in Seattle, you mentioned it was a little not too believable. And uh, yeah, I don't think that kid would have made it all the way to New York without some adult asking a question. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the kid's kid's really young. <laughs> he's he's pulling he's pulling the strings of this thing and it's it's kind of crazy i felt really bad for bill pullman i mean he wasn't a bad guy he would just like he just had allergies <laughs> like he wasn't a, a bad dude like and she's like you know i'm about to settle with this boring guy i'd much rather marry the dude i've never met who i heard about on a radio show that one time yeah like i i was standing up for him when he's like i don't want to be with somebody who's who's gonna settle for me like, yeah, you do you, Bill. Go find love. <laughs> Let's go, Bill. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Pul- Pullman is a – he's a fascinating actor. And we've got to – we've had random moments where we've talked about him on Filmgasm. Um, what was that – what was that, like, horror voodoo movie we watched that he was in? Oh, uh, Serpent in the Rainbow. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of liked that one. Uh, and, of course, of course, you and I, one of our – most fun theater experiences together is when we got to see Spaceballs at the uh, Alamo Draft House. Like that feels like fucking years ago now. Uh, and when was that? It had to be. It had to be 2019, prior to COVID happening and all that jazz. Um, so much fun, and he's fucking great in that. Yeah, I, Bill Pullman's one of my favorite character actors. He he always gives 110. percent As far as I'm concerned. He's the greatest movie president I've ever seen. His speech yeah. in Independence Day. I've seen that movie a million times. I still get riled up. I still get like super jazzed. He's the man. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, this, this is one of my favorite things. We haven't done this in a while where we just talk about the individuals within a movie. Uh, you know, we last week we did a big Paul Thomas Anderson kind of fucking, you know, praise type show. And uh, before that was... Uh, we talked about our LA trip and then we talked about uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse and we haven't just done this kind of, kind of just bullshitting about, about these people who are, who are just important to us. And uh, one of my favorite things that we get to do on this show is, is bring up, uh, you know, we've talked about the director, the writer. Now, now uh, we learn about these other people and uh, Robert Layton, the film editor for this movie was nominated for best film editing in a few good men. And also uh, was nominated for various awards for his work, his editing in Misery from 1990. So you can see him and Rob Reiner have a have a friendship. Uh, I've I've mentioned it multiple times. This is one of my favorite things about Oscar Sunday is learning how there's friendships within these you know these work environments. And clearly Reiner and Layton had had something going where they trusted each other. Reiner was like, you know, you take you you take what take what you got to do, and I, I trust I trust your judgment on on what I filmed and. That's going to be our movie. And when Harry met Sally is not an easy one to, to make as uh, seamless as it is for an hour and a half, you know, there's, there's, it's basically taking place over 12 years. And so you have these big time jumps that there's a five-year time jump and there's another five-year time jump and you're kind of all over the place, but you never feel lost ever. It explains itself extremely well. Every time jump uh, that, that first scene is always really good. You know, that first time jump, we see them at the airport and that's where Meg Ryan is with uh, uh, the, his name's Joe. Uh, and then Billy Crystal sees him and, and they, they end up sitting together on the plane. That's a great time jump. And the next one's just as good. And I, I love that about 
this movie that the, the editing is, is sublime for a rom-com that doesn't need to go that full distance, but it does. And that's what makes it kind of a aimlessly rewatchable hour and a half movie. I, I love that about it. Yeah, it's hard to kind of translate the development of a friendship into an hour and a half, like over the course of 12 years. Friendship turns to best friendship, turns to romance. And it, you believe every second of it. It's played out so believably. And you already, you, you like them from the get-go. They're played so delightfully that you just, you're invested. And yeah, the editing plays a big part of that. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Hats off to you, Robert Layton. Uh, didn't know who you were until a few hours ago. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love that. I love shit like that. Uh, the last individual I want to talk about is uh, costume designer Gloria Gresham, who's got a fucking crazy IMDb resume. Uh, you know, you and I love to just kind of look at those those initial four movies that are always on um, the IMDb pages for people. It's like a right under right under their bio, and for her, for her, Gloria Gresham, it's Last Action Hero, Sphere, Six Days, Seven Nights, and The Hunted. <laughs> what, in the, what in the fuck is all that? It's a crazy, crazy bunch of movies. But uh, she, she's been nominated once, uh, Gloria has, and that was for Avalon, 1990. Haven't seen that one, uh, but it's now on my radar. I bought that in a four-film collection at a flea market I went to that came with uh, The Last Detail, um, it's Avalon um, and two other films that are escaping me, but I was like, these are these are pretty solid. I should own these. So Hell yeah. check out Avalon. There you go. Yeah, you never know. Uh, she she has uh, just a crazy I mean, Ghostbusters two. She's the costume designer on that. When Harry Met Sally, of course, Misery, Kindergarten Cop, A Few Good Men, Midnight Run, uh, <laughs> The Natural, fucking great movie, nineteen eighty four, uh, Diner. Yeah, just crazy, really crazy resume. And uh, this is uh, just like Robert Layton. I had no idea who Gloria Gresham was, but now I do. And that's part of the fun. I imagine it's got to be harder developing costumes for like everyday people instead, as opposed to like, say, Lord of the Rings. I imagine creating like believable costumes that like you would just put on on a Tuesday has got to be just a bit harder than some like, you know, fantasy epic extravaganza. Yeah. Yeah, you, I, I've always thought that too. I've always thought that doing something that seems uh, current or modern just doesn't get near enough uh, praise or recognition as dressing everybody up from fucking hundreds of years ago, which always, always gets the Academy's attention and is always what they, oh, look at this, you know. And in fact, like it bothers me when something like um, Phantom Thread the only win it gets is costume design. Okay, cool. Neat. You know, that's just not, that's not all that movies is worth, you know? And, and that happens a lot with those movies where it's like, Oh, we don't want to give it something else. So let's just give it this, you know, it's this period piece. So let's give it fucking costume design. Even if it's good. I just, I don't always agree with that, that category. Sometimes they nominate movies that aren't even good, which I don't stand for. I don't like when the Academy, uh, recognizes, I think every movie that's nominated should be good, should be a good movie. It would be like giving uh, a basketball player most valuable player when their team doesn't even make the playoffs. It's like, okay, but they weren't, they weren't good, but this guy was really good. Who cares? They didn't do anything, you know? And I think a movie that's recognized at the Oscars should be a movie that's going to last a long time, should be a movie that's worthwhile and worth rewatching and 
and giving that, you know, giving that conversation to. I've always thought that. It'd be like giving Suicide Squad a win for best makeup. Exactly, exactly. Even if the makeup is on point, it doesn't matter. The movie's not good. The movie's not good. Why even have it represented? Because this is, I know a lot of people don't give a shit, but there are people who look back at this stuff like, like, like you and I. Uh, I don't know how many of us there are out there, but you look back and you see these things and they kind of represent the years, mainly in American filmmaking. They represent the year, you know, and I don't like when something like Suicide Squad, which was what, 2016, 17, 16, it, it belongs nowhere near like a top 100 list for movies from that year. So it's like, why even have it there represented when the movie, the product is shit? <laughs> that, yeah. that sucks. That's going to be one of the few Oscar winning films that Caleb and I are going to eviscerate on Beyond the Bat. <laughs> Good, because I don't want to do it on here. God, no. We won't. no, God, no. I wouldn't feel, it wouldn't feel right. <laughs> no, no. I, I, we, we like to shout out movies that, you know, like When Harry Met Sally, this is the only nomination, is, is screenplay, right? Uh, and I feel very good about doing this movie because I think it's one of the longest lasting movies from 1989. And I don't think so. It is. People still really love this movie and really talk about it. But there are, there are those, those suicide squads out there that just don't belong. They don't belong in a, uh, giving it that time, giving it that respect. Yeah. It's a shame. It's a, you know, it's a speed bump on the road of cinematic achievement. Exactly. Exactly. Another speed bump. <laughs> And the road of cinematic achievement is is the movie that that won best picture at this at this show uh, the 62nd Academy Awards. Well, we're gonna we're gonna break down the screenplay uh, category for sure because it, it, it is awesome. But Drive Miss Daisy winning best picture over over here's just the movies that were nominated for best picture: Born on the Fourth of July, Dead Poet Society, Field of Dreams, and My Left Foot. That's obviously leaving out. Um, in my opinion, the, the, the very best movie from that year, Do the Right Thing, Spike Lee's masterpiece, leaving that movie out and then giving something like Driving Miss Daisy the win is just like tone deaf. Is, it, it shows a lack of taste, a lack of what the culture actually wants and actually desires. And those, those mistakes, and it, it, the year, a year after, they do the exact same thing. They give Dances with Wolves the win over Goodfellas. You had it right there in front of you. You just make these these are the mistakes that you've made over your history that people who love film, who love cinema are going to turn away and just who gives a shit. If they're going to give that award for the best picture of the year, which is already a ridiculous thing to say, that this movie's better than every other movie because that's impossible, right? It's all up to your opinion, but to do it so just so wrong, you know, uh, two years in a row is, is really a, really a shame. I think, uh, you know, outside of those movies, it, it, right after, you know, is Silence of the Lambs, right after Dance of the Wolves, which is a good, okay, we're back, we're back, we're, we're, we're in a good groove here, but you, you can't make up, you can't make up for mistakes like that, and I, I don't know, man, I, I'll, I'll never get over these kind of things happening, it's just, it's crazy, what were you watching, you know, uh, for this to be what you voted, you subconsciously were like, yeah, Driving Miss Daisy, best movie from 1989. For fuck's sake, The Burbs is way better than Driving Miss Daisy. You know, a movie that has no no business being in this conversation. It, it's it's just better. And there's a lot of movies from 1989 that just should take its place. 
Yeah, well, you know, we've learned over the course of the show that the Academy tends to watch like a 15-minute clip per movie. And I'm, I don't know if they've always done that. I hope they haven't. But if so, I'm sure I could find 15 minutes in Driving Miss Daisy that makes it seem like a best picture. If you're watching, you know, poor, poorly edited clips of the rest of these movies, uh, it's all about context. And if you don't watch the whole film, you have no fucking context and you don't get to vote on anything. I mean, yeah. that's just that just makes sense to me. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I totally agree. It's ju- it's just sad. It's lazy. It's sad. And it's disrespectful to all the people out there uh, who watch stuff endlessly and basically work their ass off to just see things to just experience things and you know go to the theater or or whatever whatever it means to get fucking netflix in the mail you know to have all these different streaming services nowadays to like make sure you see all these different things and uh i i i've been tracking all the movies that i watched in december uh, uh last month and the amount of different things i used to just watch movies just because i want to was crazy. I was like, this is insane. This is, this is insane. The, the, the amount of different things I'm using for whether it was something I was rewatching for the Paul Thomas Anderson episode, or it was, Oh, I didn't see venom in theaters two months ago. So I'm going to watch it on voodoo. That's fucking nuts. You know, that, that blew my mind. I didn't realize venom came out in October and it's already, you can already buy it. <laughs> you, know, you can, you can own that shit. Not even two months later. Uh, it's really, really crazy. So yeah, it's, it's been fascinating to kind of, figure out uh, where, where we're at with all this stuff. And I know you and I just are always, always watching things. You know, we, we probably both watch at least a movie a day. You know, that's just, that's just how we're wired. That's what we do. And it's disrespectful to, to shut us down like that when these people don't even watch the whole film. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we churn out a lot of content on this podcast. Not once have I ever just watched 20 minutes of a movie and be like, eh, fuck it. I'll wing it. Like, yeah, you, yeah. you watch the whole thing. You have something to say. I mean, and we don't even get paid for this. <laughs> like, they, oh, no, oh, they no. represent the best of the year and they're just phoning it in like that. That pisses me off. Yeah, no. And, and if I did make even a fucking cent, I would put it all right back into putting it towards the streaming services that we pay for. You know, fuck me. Like, <laughs> that's 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 just how it would go. But uh, yeah, yeah, just just a weird, weird best picture group because of the, the movie that won. But overall, there's some great movies here. You know, this is a good year for American films. And, and I think the best screenplay group represents that. I do think that this group is, is solid. Uh, Dead Poet Society written by Tom Shulman, that won best original screenplay. I mean, fucking A. I can't, I can't really argue with that. It's great, great film. Uh, Woody Allen's Crimes and Misdemeanors was also nominated. Do the Right Thing, Spike Lee. Sex, Lies, and Videotape, Steven Soderbergh, holy shit, and When Harry Met Sally, Nora Ephron. So this is just a cool-ass group of, of writers, of people that mean a whole lot. To have Steven Soderbergh, Spike Lee, and Woody Allen's names all next to each other is crazy. And Nora Ephron, the, the woman who could break into that group, and uh, the winner, Tom Schulman. So it's a cool group. Do you think they got it right with this one? 100%. Dead Poet Society is a masterpiece. It was one of our first episodes. Yeah. Uh, and it 100% excels in its story and its characters. The screenplay is the heart and soul of that movie. And I'm very glad it won. Yeah. I, my vote would go to do the right thing. That movie is just like flawless and being just a, a fucking white guy who grew up in the suburbs of, of Texas. Uh, movies like that are like why they're made. They're, you know, uh, this, is, this is how you learn about 
cultures outside of your own. And when someone like Spike Lee is up in your grill, like just fucking giving it to you, like you just have no choice but to just peel your eyes back and you're like, holy shit, this is a masterpiece. Uh, that movie, that movie is wonderful. And we're definitely going to do it, do it sometime soon on this show. That's for sure. Uh, I've always, always wanted to do that movie. Uh, that and dead poets are definitely to me, the two best movies from the year uh, overall. Uh, I have no problem with Tom Shulman winning. Like you said, dead poets, it feels like it's, you, you think you're, you, you think you're watching um, a movie that's based on a screenplay that's based on like an American classic novel. Like it's that good, you know, and uh, some of the stuff that's being, being said in that movie and the lessons you learn, and how it's how it's kind of unforgiving, especially towards the end, right? Uh, it doesn't it doesn't let up. Dead Poet Society. It, it kind of just when you think it's going to hit the brakes a little bit, it like pushes the gas even further down. And that's another movie where you have no choice but to kind of just fucking accept that humanity is a is a tough, tough, tough subject. <laughs> True, but in the end, you do get a glimmer of hope, and you need that to di- to digest this movie. Because it was just, you know, he gets fired and, like, that's it? What the fuck? But you've got Ethan Hawke's moment where he stands up to the faculty and supports him. That right there shows you that not everything's going to be okay, but something is. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I don't care about spoiling this movie. It's over 30 years old. It's yeah. uh, when, when we see the, the student who commits suicide... When we see that happen, you're 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 kind of like, oh god, it's not it's not worth it, right? It's not worth it to go through all of that. And then, like you said, you have the scene at the end where multiple, you know, Ethan Hawke stands up, oh captain, my captain, and then multiple students are like, fuck it, I'm doing the same thing. It, 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 as dark as it may be, if it's worth losing one 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 person so that these other people live, actually live, it's very hard to 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 stomach, very hard to process. That's why it's such a great movie. You know, it's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't allow you to just go to sleep right after you're going to be up thinking about it. You're going to be thinking about all, all kinds of things. You're gonna be thinking about adolescence. You're gonna be thinking about what are we teaching kids in school? Should there be more freedom for teachers? And, you know, and, and then of course now, you know, um, since 2014, watching Rob Williams at work is, is its own, its own monster. And, yeah, I, I get chills thinking about it. There's a reason. I think we did it like episode nine. You know, we did it early, early, early in this show. And both of us were just kind of, whoa, you know, it was it was one of those first episodes we did where we were we were just raving about it. We didn't know what else to do. <laughs> yeah, I wholeheartedly think this should have been the best picture winner of 1989. This movie, I mean, I like four of those movies, but Dead Poet Society is something special. That that thing deserves accolades. Yeah, amongst those movies, I'm 100% in with you. I, I really like Born on the Fourth of July, but it's not a, it's not like an all timer. It's not a. I don't even. I I I don't. If you're like a huge history buff and you like, for whatever reason you like Tom Cruise, you know, then it's then it's really worth your time. I don't think it's like a absolute must see. Field of Dreams, really like that movie, but also I I don't know if that's like a best picture type movie. And My Left Foot, just not for everybody. You know, it's not. It's not going to excite everyone. Uh, if you like performances, of course, Daniel Day-Lewis is, is frighteningly good in it and definitely deserve that Best Actor win. Uh, but, but as a film that lasts and that you can kind of stick with, yeah, it's, it's Dead Poets. Yeah, 100%. Um, 
I driving Miss Daisy. I'll never. I mean, no. dead dead poets made me think. It made me reflect. I fell asleep twice watching Driving Miss Daisy. I had to wake up and rewind a couple times. Oh yeah, no, it's a dud. Yeah, it's a total dud. It's it's one of the worst that I've seen. I think I've seen out of the ninety what ninety three best picture runners we've had. I think I've seen like seventy of them, a little over seventy, somewhere in there. And it's one of the bottom like four or five for sure. Yeah, we've definitely seen enough to have a voice in this in this argument at this point. Like we we got the you know we put in the work to back up our claims. I, I like that. Yeah, well, it's it's to me, it's like easy to point them out. It's it's driving Miss Daisy, it's Dance with Wolves, and it's Crash. Those three just don't belong in any kind of best picture uh, conversation. They just don't. They're just they're not worth it. I haven't seen, you know, again, I haven't seen everything, but and I'm sure there's some old ones that I'm not going to be in love with, but there's no way they're they're worse than, they're worse than those. <laughs> I mean, the, as far as, you know, we've explored, I'm sure I think like Hamlet's probably the worst we've found as far. as Yeah. Winners. Yeah. That's yeah. not a, it's just not a fun movie at all. It's not rewarding. It's not worth it. It's too long. And, it, and, and that one, that one's a fun conversation because it went against four amazing movies, <laughs> like, like all timers and just incredible films that are, I, I mean, the red shoes, like fucking shit, you know, that's just like a, diamond of a movie and charge of sierra madre is, is in my opinion perfect and then uh you got snake pit come on like that's a really entertaining really good movie and what's the other one um johnny belinda yeah johnny belinda is great too like any of those four should have should have beat should have beat that that fucking hamlet uh just, just a dud just boring uh yeah i think that's that's definitely right of what we've established on this show and have done it like a best picture showdown type thing I, I definitely think Hamlet's the worst of what we've kind of gone through, but we haven't done uh, 1990. Uh, we haven't done 1989. We haven't done 2004, 2005, a crash. So it's, I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to do them. We're going to, we're going to at some point cause we're going to knock them all out at, at eventually, you know, but uh, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not rushing. <laughs> I think, uh, I think chariots of fire was shit. Yeah, especially compared to Indiana Jones and Atlantic City. Come on, come off it. Even Reds was pretty, pretty entertaining. <laughs> yeah, it's like three hours, and it's it's just way better. Yeah, yeah, crazy the shit we've watched for this show. Like stuff I never in a million years would have thought I'd even like watch, let alone talk about at length. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's 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 amazing and has completely changed my. M- m- my perspective, uh, not just not just the perspective of like, oh, well, this was nominated for an Oscar, so it must be good. But I just like having context. I like having a place to go to get recommendations. And even if I don't agree with them, I mean, uh, that 1948 group is as strong as it can get. And if it wasn't for those movies being nominated, I might not have ever seen them or it might have taken me a lot longer to see them, you know, and yeah. I'm very I'm, I'm grateful for that as, as silly as as silly as award shows for art are, I'm very grateful for just kind of the context that, that the, the Oscars has given, given us and given this show. And we get to talk about movies like when Harry met Sally. So come on. Yeah, it's great. At the very least, you know, there's thousands of films that have just been, you know, touched by gold a little bit, and that's going to make them shine amongst the rest. And that's how we're going to find them at the very least. 
Exactly. Exactly. Do you, do you think at this, at the 62nd Academy Awards, do you think uh, when Harry met Sally should have been up for anything else? I think Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan both should have been up. I think they're both fantastic in this. Okay. Well, let's look at that. So best actor, uh, whew, you got, <laughs> yikes. You got Daniel Day-Lewis do one for my left foot. Just got very hard to think that anybody could take that away from him. If someone was going to though, it'd be Robin Williams and Dead Poet Society. Uh, Morgan Freeman, Driving Miss Daisy, Tom Cruise, Born on the Fourth of July, and Kenneth Branagh for Henry V. Uh, I'd take out Morgan Freeman if you're going to put Billy Crystal in there. I haven't seen Henry V, but I too would take out Morgan Freeman. Yeah, I love love Morgan Freeman. That's nothing against him. He's done some really cool stuff and has been kind of in our lives in big, big movies ever since we were we were little children. So. He's he's incredible and has, has always been someone that I've been very aware of since I was a child. And it, this just this this ain't it, you know. He's 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 better as Lucius Fox and fucking the Batman movies. So you know, it's just that this this is not the one. He's better as Robin Hood's sidekick from Jerusalem in Prince of Thieves. Like even yeah, he's he's better in Bruce Almighty. You know, come on, like <laughs> come on, he is just not a good. But yeah, I, I think yeah, I think Billy Crystal is is excellent. And when Harry met Sally, I would have no problem with that. Now, Meg Ryan. Okay, these are these are some movies I, I'm not very familiar with. Uh, Jessica Tanny, one for Driving Miss Daisy. Isabel Adjani for Camille Claudel. Uh, Pauline Collins for Shirley Valentine. Jessica Lang, the legend for Music Box. And Michelle Pfeiffer for The Fabulous Baker Boys. I have not seen any of those except for Driving Miss Daisy. I have heard of the fabulous Baker Boys. That's a movie my uh, my mom's wanted me to watch long for a long time. It's Jeff and Bo Bridges together. I mean, come on, but yeah, um, yeah I haven't watched it yet. And those other three films, no. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. But yeah, Meg Ryan is great. Uh, I do. Well, yeah, I, I love Michelle Pfeiffer. So I would love to see this is this is right before Batman Returns. Michelle Pfeiffer. So I, I would love to see the fabulous Baker Boys. And I've heard the mu- I've heard Music Box is really good. Jessica Lange, she's she was unreal. She still is awesome, but there was a time when she was kind of, kind of, kind of untouchable. And, and I think it was right around here. And Jessica Tandy, come on, really? <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> this is, yeah. This is ridiculous. I would pry that Oscar from her cold, dead fingers and give it to Meg Ryan. Uh, yeah, I have no problem with that. Meg Ryan is awesome in Winter Ham at Sally. She has I to would... go through a roller coaster in, in this goddamn movie. I would also like to point out that this episode introduced me to Meg Ryan. I have, I'd never seen any of her work prior to watching when Harry met Sally and sleep is in Seattle for this episode. So now that I know what she's all about, I have some work to do. Yeah. Yeah. And she's, you know, she's one of those actresses that had her moment and it kind of went away. Kind of, kind of, kind of, she, she kind of lost it, you know, like lost this magical spark. Uh, I'd, uh, 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 do you, do you know why? Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, she got a lot of plastic surgery. Um, fuck her look. And that was kind of it. Yeah. That's really sad, you know, cause she was kind of like this Titan and then, and then all of a sudden, you know, it, it, it can happen, right. You know, it can happen depending on what decisions you make and yeah, can be on the screen or off the screen. Like in, in Meg Ryan's case, yeah. that bubble can pop at any moment, a career, <laughs> is incredibly fragile, especially yeah. in this industry. Yeah. Uh, you guys are doing 
Batman and Robin, right? Of the uh, Beyond the Bad. Yep, that's our debut on Friday. I think I think some I think some careers in that movie were were sort of uh, deterred. <laughs> that fucker was a water gun that just popped a shit ton of bubbles. I mean, good god, Arnold and Clooney they could survive it, but Chris O'Donnell, Alicia Silverstone, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd say mainly Silverstone, right? She was supposed to be this just monstrous performer that was on the rise and one decision one bad role can can change the world it's like in school of rock when all the kids rally around uh dewey finn jack black's character and they're like hey remember what the sex pistols said one great rock show can change the world in this case one bad movie can change change your whole life and that's that's just crazy you know and that's really sad that for meg ryan it wasn't really her work it was yeah. something that something she decided to do off off the screen, which is a shame that like she gets plastic surgery and now all of a sudden like she's unhirable. Like I, I highly doubt that was it. I'm sure there's got to be some other factors that kind of damaged her career. The plastic surgery, maybe maybe she was difficult. I don't I don't want to speculate. But yeah, I like to look into that because like Renee Zellweger got plastic surgery, she looked completely different, and then she won an Oscar for Judy. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure there's more to this story. Yeah, Zellweger, they love her. The Academy just, they can't get enough Renee Zellweger. I never in a million years would have thought she'd be a two-time winner. <laughs> yeah, which is just weird. It just doesn't, I don't know, it just doesn't make sense with how many amazing performers there's been who haven't won or haven't been nominated, and she's got two of them bad boys. Like, that, that's just, it's just not easy to do. It's, you're in rare air, you know, uh, not a lot of, not a lot of classic actors even have have that, you know. I mean, someone like fucking Humphrey Bogart doesn't even have that, you know. Like that's that's kind of crazy to me. Yeah, it's it's fucking weird, and especially since she's all right. You know what? I'll say it here. She's not that good. She's everything I've no. seen her in. I've been pretty underwhelmed. I mean, I like Judy, but that was mostly because I really like Judy Garland. As far as I'm concerned, anybody could have played that role, and I would have been on board. But yeah. She hasn't really impressed me all that much. And I, I just, someone up there likes her. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's yeah. I, I don't, I don't really know what it is because I'm with you. Uh, Judy. Yeah. Good, good, good stuff. You know, I'm, I'm with you. I just was fascinated to see a movie about Judy Garland, especially because we had both done a lot of work through this show and through film guys of just, just learning about Judy Garland and watching her movies and falling in love, especially with uh, her, her performance in judgment at Nuremberg. And just being kind of enamored by by her story and how dark it was and, and all those things. So yeah, I, I'm with you. Anybody who does that, I, and 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 like Renee Zellweger, her like acceptance speech was fucking bizarre, and yeah. it looked like, it looked like she didn't know what to do like at all, and, and it was just weird. And that's just not, you know, when someone wins like uh, like when Daniel Kaluuya won for Juice and the Black Messiah, and he goes up there and gives this awesome speech, and it's like totally. Uh, totally off the wall and totally original, you know, it's like completely him. And he's like, you know, he's like, yeah, man. Yeah. He's, he has his, he has his London accent going and, and, and you're, you're just like, Oh, that's cool. It's, it's kind of, it kind of fitting. Cause this guy's popular. Everybody likes him. He's good at his job. Renee Zellweger. I don't feel like I know a lot of people who are like, yeah, she's my favorite actress. You know, <laughs> I also don't, I also don't think a lot of people were in love with her work specifically in Judy. It's just a weird one of those weird wins where it's like, okay, can't we make this more fun for the people watching? (laughs) 
it's funny you brought up Daniel Kaluuya's speech because I actually thought he was a little rambly and off his rocker because he, oh, he just yeah. seems so jazzed by the fact that he won that he just couldn't kind of he was trying to make a point, but it didn't quite get there. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of like, like Joaquin. Joaquin clearly had like thousands of things to say. And he hit he hit him, but it was like he was more just like fucking hey man, I'm up here, you know, and this this is happening. This is a moment. I like when that happens. I like like Cuba Gooding Jr. when he won. He just started losing his mind. That's uh that's way more fun to watch on TV and be a fan of than Renee Zellweger just kind of like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorites was when Eddie Redmayne won for the Fury of Everything. And he mm. went up there and not only he got it from Kate Blanchett, who's like one of his good friends in the industry, but he had a moment like he tried to be all cool, composed. And then he went like, oh, my God, I, I can't believe I got an Oscar. Like, he had yeah. a moment of like holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like when they, they're human like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's cool. Like you, you, you as a, I'm sure as a performer, you're, you're striving for more than just getting an award. You're striving to leave lasting work. But to be recognized for it has to feel good, you know. Uh, it's got to be a nice feeling to go up there and people liked what you did. Yeah, that's got to be a good feeling. Yeah, to become, you know, an Academy Award winner that carries significant weight in terms of legacy. And that's just, you know, you, you are forever attached to this, uh, you know, group now. And you're in, you know, the same league as you know ingrid bergman and clark gable and like these iconic figures of the industry you are now part of that party so that's got to mean something yeah funny you bring up ingrid bergman i had just mentioned humphrey bogart because i love how casablanca is referenced and when harry met sally multiple times (laughs) yeah so i love how their opinions are constantly changing on you know who would you end up with you know uh victor or bogey and you know depending on where they are in their life, you know, that answer is going to be different. I like that because it shows, you know, character growth. It's a very smart very, way of showing character growth. Yeah. Very cool. I loved that. I love that bit. thought it was amazing. I, I, I didn't, I had, I hadn't seen when Harry met Sally in a few years, uh, actually uh, a couple years. The last time I watched it was in 2019. Cause I was doing a top five list for the site from 1989. Cause it was movies that were, you know, I did, I did one for, 89, 99, 2009, you know, I was trying to do all those years that were hitting anniversaries and I did 89 and when Harry met Sally barely made my, my t- I think it was number five and uh, four, four or five. I can't remember. And that was the last time I watched it. And I, I, I caught those things of course, but I didn't, now I'm like enamored by moments like that. Cause I, cause I, I love Casablanca. I cannot wait to do it on this show one day. That's going to be one of the coolest uh, best picture showdowns. But if I recall correctly, that is one of the years where there's like nine films. There's I think. like 15 films. Yeah. So I, with those, there's just no way we're getting to all of them. We'll do a, what we can, you know, we'll watch as many as we can, but there's going to be some of those old years where we can't access all of them, you know, and that'll just be, that should be how the cookie crumbles. I hate, I hate when they don't do five. I hate that now in, in modern Oscar history, it's all eight, nine, 10. It's like not even, they don't even choose eight or nine or like keep it at a, a number. They're just all, they've been all over the place for the past, past like decade and a half. I hate that. Yeah. It's felt a bit like a popularity contest over the past few years. And that, that sucks. Uh, I like the exclusivity of five, 10 is too much. Yeah, I totally agree. Wow. Oh man. I, 
I could go on about this stuff all day. I know, uh, <laughs> I know it's not, it's not the most, uh, exciting stuff for some people, but if you're listening to a, a show called Oscar Sunday, you probably have some of the same complaints we do. Right. That's, that's how I kind of view it. Like, I, you know, we're not here to, you know, impress, like if you're listening to this show, odds are you also have thoughts about the Oscars. You also care about this shit. So, you know, <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I love it, man. I, I actually have, have been thinking a lot about, uh, you know, the next Oscars are not until April, I believe like April, like late April. Uh, so yeah, we've got a lot of time to kind of catch up on stuff and watch everything that's nominated and whatnot. Once those nominations come out. Uh, but on, you know, of course, every, every Sunday is when we have one of these shows on that Sunday, I think I want to do something like this, a conversation about what would be if we could run the Oscars, like what would be our ideal uh, ceremony, you know, and obviously you and I are in the same boat where every category is five, 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 five. That's just, that's just, that's just the way it is. Now, what about animated movies? Three or five? Five. There's plenty of competition these days. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I, th- I, th- I, th- I think, yeah, especially now, right. Where they're, they're turned out like nobody's business. Well, I also wouldn't exclude like, you know, D- like the DC animated movie. Some of those have like compelling arcs and beautiful screenplays and co- amazing animation, but like they don't even get the time of day. So I, I would, mm. you know, throw those into the rotation and, you know, consider all animated films within the year, not just a window of release the year. I'm yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. I think, I think that's, I think that's just cooler, right. Is to not just make a category and here's your little gimmicky three movies, but actually represent it well. Cause it is an awesome category. I think what will be fun is we pick a year between 2009 and like 2020 that has these 10 nominations and rework the Oscars in our image, rework oh, the ceremony in our image. That'd be fun. Yeah, I would love to do that. Yeah, I want to do something like that where we're kind of reshaping what what would be our dream. Because, you know, I think I don't say this a lot about a lot of things like like uh, uh, just to give kind of a, an example, uh, a TV show. If it's like a singing competition show and they, they leave it up to America to decide who wins. I've always thought that to be a little weird. You know, I think it's better if a smaller group of people chooses. But in this case. I think because we've seen the numbers drop significantly year after year for viewers, for the Oscars, I think it would be smart to listen to people, not, not, not saying just like us, but people who care, get their feedback. How could we make this more enjoyable, more entertaining for, for people to get on board and actually care about and want to watch each year? Cause it, it's sad. It's sad. Cause I remember when I was a kid, my dad would be like, oh, like 35 million people are watching the Oscars. And now it's like not even close. It's not even close to that number. This past one was sad. And then Steven Soderbergh directed it. I would think that those things could, would help. But I do think listening to the people who give a shit about Oscars history and about how the show looks and how it's represented, I think we, we should have a say in how it, how it goes down. You know, uh, I'm not saying we should choose all of the nominees or anything. But we should choose how, how exactly does the show work? How many, how many nominations are in a category? How many should be televised? You know, all these different things. Should we have musical guests? Should we have this? You know, how many representers, you know, uh, uh, presenters should we have? I think those things really matter for the flow of a show. Because let's be honest, man, like you and I love this shit, but watching, sitting down for three hours 
is just not ideal for most people. I mean, you can watch fucking Lord of the Rings Return of the King in that amount of time, or you can watch a bunch of rich people go up on a stage and be like, oh, and the winner is, you know, I think there's a way to kind of meet in the middle and make it a more entertaining overall show. And then, then more people will get excited about it. I would hope. I think first off, you got to nix the goofy shit, uh, which they've already kind of started to do. You know, like when uh, when Ellen got everyone pizza that one time, that really pissed me off. I've thought about that every time I watch a movie that's involving the Oscars. I think of Ellen getting everyone pizza and being like, what a fucking waste of time this is. So thankfully, they've already started going down that road by kind of avoiding the host thing for the past few years, which is nice. But also the presenters shouldn't have that much to say. I think mm, you don't mm. need to hear that, you know, film editing is such an important part of filmmaking. Like we know that you just reword that every single year. We don't need that yeah. shit anymore. Just say the yeah. nominees and fuck off. <laughs> yeah. And, and instead of, uh, you know, and God bless some of these people, you know, like, like if, when Regina King went up and she's like, just going on and on about stuff, I'm like, okay, I love her to death, but I would rather have fucking montages all fucking night of yes. the movie of the movies from the past year just just to get me riled up to give me those those goosebumps that i love when i watch clips from movies you know uh that's just better use of your time that's another thing they've been kind of abandoning over the past couple of years i love when they're doing the acting categories especially when they show a little clip of the performance just so you can get the gist i love that oh. bit and they've been taking that away so yeah and it's it's just a still shot of of anthony hopkins it's like no let me see anthony hopkins fucking scream like yeah. why let, let are they that. here why did they get this nomination we need to know i know we saw the movie but we need a refresher and there's something about i, I know for me from past experience especially before joining joining uh the film guys and team uh in 2018 uh before that there was a lot of movies not a lot, but there are there, there definitely a handful each year that I, I just missed. You know, I didn't see for whatever reason. And when I saw the clip on the Oscars, I'd be like, oh, fuck, I got to see that. <laughs> you know, I got to fuck it. I got to fucking know what that's all about. You know, um, I remember when I saw uh, the the clip for Nebraska, uh, which was nominated in 2013. I saw the clip for, you know, black and white. And I saw Bruce Dern. And I saw him kind of get get fucking mean for a second. I was like. I need to see that. What am I doing? You know? And I went and sought it out. You know, I think people, when they get, they get inspired by a clip or, or this thing that they haven't seen yet, they want to be a part of. I think that's a good way for exposure for, for people watching your films. And yeah. I don't know, man, I, I think, I think there's a whole episode that we could do about this. <laughs> I, I think there should be a category for voice acting. I think there should be a category for stunt work. I think mm. that, we shouldn't just prioritize American films. I think foreign films should get as much of a consideration as every American film that's up. I think there's been, you know, a lot of bias since the beginning. Oh and yeah. Oh, yeah. Kind of, I think, you know, we're, we're in the, you know, we're two years deep into 2020s. It's time to fuck with that. Fuck off with that. Like film is film. Correct. Correct. Right. Yeah. It comes back to that awesome Bong Joon-ho quote where he's like, if you can get over the two inches of subtitles, on your screen, you're going to, you're going to open your mind up to a whole new world of cinema. And, and yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm totally with you. It's just so weird that it took that long. It's like, really every for 91 years, uh, an American or really an American or a British movie was the best movie every single year. Like, come on, that's just not true. There's no, 
fucking way for almost a hundred years of filmmaking that only one foreign movie got y'all's attention for best picture. That's crazy. Yeah. It's almost like the Americans are running the show. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it seems that way. They must speak English. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, it's bonkers. There, there, there should be more representation in, in the acting categories and screenplay just because they're not writing fucking American, you know, an English dialogue. <laughs> it's like Parasite should have got what it deserved, you know, and it also yeah. should have been up for performances. It shouldn't have just gotten director, you know, and, and, and uh, and best picture, like it should have been up for also acting categories. And uh, I'll always stand by that. There's amazing performances out there that we're just missing and people don't get to see and don't get exposure to just because of the bias. And that, that sucks. Yeah. I feel the same way about another round the following year. I mm. feel like giving that film best foreign film was like a consolation prize of like, there's your Oscar and I'll shut up. Yeah. But that yeah. should have been, you know, screenplay, acting, editing, like song, like best fucking- picture. Yeah. yeah, best yeah. picture. Like what? Uh, it's that. I think it all comes down to that fifteen-minute clip bullshit. If you watch yeah. the whole movie, you'll understand. Yeah, because if you catch the wrong fifteen minutes of another round, you're gonna be like, "This is bonkers." <laughs> Every movie has at least a fifteen-minute boring stretch. I, I can give you fifteen minutes of Back to the Future that are not that great to sit through. It doesn't represent the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. No, that's great. Yeah, no, I, I love these conversations, man. I could do a whole fucking mini pod on just figuring out the bullshittery of the Oscars and figuring out how to change it and make it better. Because I, I do think, like, you, you and I, I mean, the last show when Nomadland won, you and I got together, ordered pizza, got, you know, got food, got sodas. We sat there and watched the whole goddamn thing. And we were satisfied, but we were like, man, this could be, this could be better. You know, this could be even better, you know? And I, I want to see it as, I want to see it thrive. I want the Oscars to be important. I want people to care. I want cinephiles to give a shit about what happens at the Oscars. Uh, I, I get why they don't though. You know, I get it. I get yeah. why people are like, no, I'm good. Like, I don't need to, I don't need to fuck with an entire ass organization that doesn't include horror that doesn't include comedy that doesn't properly include foreign films that doesn't give animated movies the right respect i get it until the entire spectrum of film is not just represented but even considered it's no one's gonna care except the niche people like us yeah exactly and and i'll be honest you know i care way more once we started the show i just i just i just inherently i just know more now i just care more i'm we're doing all these episodes where now you and I both have that kind of mind where once you read something, it's kind of somewhere there, it's kind of somewhere back there and you can't help it. You know, uh, if you pointed a gun to my head and said, what were the five nominees for 1989? I'm going to figure it out. You know, it's just there. It's in, it's in my brain somewhere. And I can't help that. You know, I, I, I love history. I love, I love context and I love movies. So that's just, that's just the way it's going to be. And even if I'm upset with, <laughs> with the organization that runs this thing, I do, I, I care. I really, and I want to care more. And I want, I want my, I want my friends to care. I want my family to care. I want, I want my fellow, fellow movie lovers to care. So this is great. I love when the conversation goes to these places. Um, it usually happens when we look at a, a ceremony that bothers us and <laughs> yeah. with driving Miss Daisy, you know, it, it just kind of makes the conversation. And then you bring up Casablanca and you got, like you said, fucking 12, 15 movies up for best picture, which is just silly. Uh, so I, I love shit like this, you know, uh, it, my favorite thing to do would be, I've always wanted to, um, copy one of my favorite writers, Chase Serrano. Uh, he's from San Antonio 
love that guy to death. Uh, he's written uh, three books that are kind of in the same family. One of them's called uh, Hip Hop and Other Things. One of them's called Basketball and Other Things. And one of them's called Movies and Other Things. And the movies one, of course, is my favorite. And I, I, I bought it right away when it came out. And the artwork is really cool. And he did this section where he basically redid the Oscars for like the past 30 years. But it was, it was done in a really funny way. Like, like when, it, when it got to uh, uh, 1994, he was like, he's like a huge fan of Speed. So he was like, fuck it, get all those movies out of there, put Speed in there. You know, he's being really funny about it, having a lot of fun with it. When it got to Crash, uh, he's like, fuck that movie, Brokeback Mountain, the, you know, give it every single award, you know. He was just being funny with it. But I would love to seriously go back and include, you know, include horror movies, include comedy movies that I think are, that we think deserve one of those five spots. I would love to do that one day when I have the full scope of every Best Picture nominee and every Best Picture winner. I would love to write an entire fucking book about reshaping every single year and showing what I think and keep it all to five, keep it every year to five and choose the five movies that probably should have been there and include foreign, you know, again, include horror. Cause there's God knows horror has been shut up way too many times. Dude, that would be a fantastic book to write, like to, co- to write together. Like yeah. 1927 to, to whatever Oscars is when we're done. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great. Be, we'd have to watch everything. I know. And we're, 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 we're you know, we're, th- we're there. We're working on it. You know, this show is the fucking pre-work for the book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, I love it, man. I love it. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I don't have I don't have much else to say about the 62nd Academy Awards. I think we're in the same boat. It would have been cool to see uh, Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan get nominated for When Harry Met Sally. Uh, I don't quite know if it should have been up for Best Picture. Probably not. You know, I don't think it's quite a Best Picture caliber film, but it is very good. Uh, the screenplay is well-deserved, and that's that's probably where it, where it lies. I'm really, really glad it does have that nomination so we can do it right here on this show. Uh, definitely excited to give it awards, but is there anything else you got to say about the 62nd Academy Awards? No, we've, we've, uh, this isn't new ground for us. We've, we've been to 89 before we've, we've voiced these complaints. We've, we've been here. So I think we're good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Uh, yeah, I guess we've done. Has it just been dead poets? Have we done the other 1989 movies? I feel like we have. Uh, Me too, for some reason. Yeah. Do a quick once over. Um, No. Yeah, I guess it is just um <laughs> it was just uh dead poets. Yeah, we must have just really had a lot to say. <laughs> that was a that was a long time ago too, man. We did that early. That was that I swear that was like we had done I know we had done we had done a really cool run at the beginning where we did like fucking whiplash dead poets and on the waterfront something like that it was like those three were right around each other and i was like i was just in heaven you know <laughs> i remember that uh hell yeah man yeah. hell yeah all right well let's uh let's focus in on when harry met sally and give it some awards you know it's gonna be fun to properly talk about what we love about this movie um again i love when the conversation just takes its own own route uh, about the oscars because that's that's what we love to do but uh, on this show, you know, if you've been with us before, you know exactly what we're doing here. We got the Quentin Tarantino Award for the best quote or best line of the movie. 
We have the Ennio Morricone Award for the best music moment or needle drop, whatever it is, piece of score. Uh, we have the Philip Seymour Hoffman Award for the best performance of the movie. And then finally, we'll have the Roger Deakins Award for the best scene of the movie. So take it away with your Tarantino. My Tarantino is a big-ass monologue from Billy Crystal that happens uh, right after he sees his ex-wife at the Sharper Image store and starts bottling yes. up a lot of shit. Yes. <laughs> and goes back to um, his friend's place, Jess and Maria, or Marie, and they're, at, they're arguing about a coffee table. And oh, Harry... Man. Just explodes. And the following is what he says. (laughs) Right now, everything is great. Everyone is happy. Everyone's in love. And that is wonderful. But you got to know that sooner or later, you're going to be screaming at each other about who's going to get this dish. This $8 dish will cost you $1,000 in phone calls to the legal firm of that's mine. This is yours. Please, Jess Marie, do me a favor for your own good. Put your name in your books right now before they get mixed up and you won't know whose is whose. Because someday, believe it or not, you'll go 15 rounds over who's going to get this coffee table. This stupid wagon wheel Roy Rogers garage sale coffee table. <laughs> then he storms out and Carrie Fisher whispers, I just want you to know I'm never going to want this coffee table. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. Fucking flawless. Yeah, the wagon wheel Roy Rogers coffee table. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I chose that exact same one. Uh ah. I love that. I, I wrote down I wrote down that the angry speech, and then I wrote down the, the nice the nice one from the very end of the movie. So I'll, I'll give I'll give that one my Tarantino because yeah, my favorite part of the movie is is that is the, from from the from the screenplay. I love. <laughs> Imagine how fun that was for Nora Ephron to write. Like that's and, and for to give it to Billy Crystal, this guy who's just got this endless fucking charisma. <laughs> he's, he's so good. I love when uh uh. Uh, what's their names? Marie and Je- Jess is like, um, he's like, I thought you liked that table. He's like, I was being polite. <laughs> you know? like, I, was, I was trying to be nice. You fucker. <laughs> I love during uh, Harry and Sally's like apology hug outside. Jess just walks through the walks outside, holding the fucking wagon wheel. He's like, don't say a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so good. It is an ugly table. <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah. God. Uh, <laughs> Great stuff, yeah. That's definitely the winner of the Tarantino. But the, this, the, the the sweet little bit at the end when he finally, uh, and this is kind of why we chose it for 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 the New Year's episode, right? There's there's multiple scenes. There's you know Christmas and New Year's, and the holidays are very much used within this film. And at the end, the biggest scene when he decides, oh, I, I I love this girl, you know. And this is when he finds her, and he's you know he goes to this party where he's severely underdressed and, and just, and just pours his heart out. And uh, Harry Burns says, I love that you get cold when it's 71 degrees up. I love that it takes you an hour and a half to order a sandwich. I love that you get a little crinkle above your nose when you're looking at me like I'm nuts. <laughs> I love that after I spend the day with you, I can still smell your perfume on my clothes. And I love that you're the last person I want to talk to before I go to sleep at night. And it's not because I'm lonely and it's not because it's New Year's Eve. I came here tonight because when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. Oh, fucking beautiful. It really is. It's, it, Has any it's, speech uh, in history ever personified love better than that? No, it's, it's, it's stunning because I think I was watching this with Brianna, right? And uh, my, my fiance, and she wasn't like locked into the movie, but like when this scene came on, And he starts doing this. I just looked at her and I was like, I have my own version of this, you know? And I think, I think everyone who 
legitimately falls for someone who's like, oh my God, you know, I, I don't want to live without them. I think everyone has something like this to say. I think it's something along the lines of this. And I think vice versa, whether it's the, the male saying this or the female pouring their heart out like this, I think the other person's also got a bit of that like, fuck you, man. Like you make it so hard to think about anything else, you know? And that's how Meg Ryan responds. She's like, Sally responds, I hate you. Like you make this so difficult because I do love you, you fucking bastard. You know, I love that. I love that honesty about them too at the end where he's like, but you can't resist me. You know, <laughs> like you, you can't help it. Like you, you feel the same way and they, they kiss and then, you know, we have the, we have the happy ending in the, in the movie. So it, this movie has a couple ways that it could be, um, I don't even want, I, I don't want to use the word better, but it, it could take the out of like, life is hard. Life is really hard. And it's very, very hard to find someone to love. It could do that, but it takes the kind of cute, fun way out. And I'm okay with that, you know, cause it, it has those moments throughout, throughout the story that are tough and that are really hard to swallow, really hard to process. Like the scene when they're at the, at the baseball game and he's explaining while they're doing the wave, while Harry's explaining, it's fucking, it's fun the way he's wording it, the way he's saying it, but it is tough. You know, he's talking about how his wife is always, she says, um, I don't think I've ever loved you. You know, I don't think I've ever been in love with you. And like, those things are scary when you give your heart to somebody and you give up your life to spend it with somebody, not give up your life, but you make those sacrifices, right? You, yeah. that's hard. That's really hard to jump in, to dive in like that. I think this movie has stuff in the story, in the movie that makes it gritty and hard. And then it has this really cool ending where it's like, Hey, you can go to sleep tonight. You know, it's going to be okay. And I love that about it. I, I think it could have taken different routes and I'm, I'm, I'm usually I'm one of those people who wants it to be the really tough, hard one where, uh, fuck, everything's fucked. You know, you're, you're screwed. But I do like when sometimes a movie sticks the landing like this. And I think this one does really well. I think people would hate this movie if they didn't end up together. Yeah, I think yeah. if it ends with them sleeping together and their friendships destroyed forever, this is one of the most despised films in history. You need them to end up together because you put in the time. You you're you've fallen in love with them too, and you yes. need this to happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's like bringing back Linklater's before trilogy is like I I don't want every love story to be like that. <laughs> I don't want it to all end that way. You know, I don't need to see that every time. I do love those movies. And that journey is its own beast. But I, but I like this version too, where it's, it's, it's still fun to rewatch because you're not going to be completely fucking devastated by the end. Yeah, there are a lot of fucked relationships out there, a lot of unhealthy, toxic couples. But there are also people out there who are genuinely in love, people who love spending time together, people who need each other and want to be around each other. And mm. they, they need representation in film too. Exactly, exactly. That's yeah. That's what well said. That's my rambling really ultimately ultimately comes to that. <laughs> oh man. I love it. Um, go ahead. I lo- I just wanted to say on top of that, the new year's Eve scene, I do love the epilogue where they're talking about their wedding and she had, the oh. ch- they had the coconut cake with the chocolate sauce on the side. <laughs> so good. I, was I so love excited. that. I love that. I love that. That first scene when they go to eat together, when they're driving back from Chicago, and he's looking at her like, what in the hell? Because he just says, 
I'll take the number three. And then gives his menu back to the waitress. And then Sally goes on this long, like everything on the side. And if you don't have it, I don't want it. You know, and if you don't have that, then don't even give me that. And she's like, well, you still want the pie? And she's like, yes, but not heat it up. You're like, oh my God. And the waitress, her reaction is so good. She's like, okay. And puts her pin back in her, she puts her pin back behind her ear and is like, I don't know what just happened. I'm a waitress, not a fucking, like, I'm not your robot. (laughs) So good. Uh, Beautiful. I love that shit. Um, The annual Morricone award. This is, this one's tough. Um, Yeah. Got a lot of good, good fucking needle drops in this movie. A lot of songs that admittedly sound very similar. <laughs> a lot of uh, yeah, easy yeah. listening, a lot of light jazz, like bordering on easy listening, but it's all good. Um, I had to go with uh, the moment Harry realizes he's in love with Sally and the soundtrack just immediately breaks into Frank Sinatra's It Had to Be You. Hmm. And it's it's such a beautiful moment. It's a great song. And he's sprinting back to the new year's party and it just works. It's, it's great. Frank Sinatra makes everything just a little bit better. (laughs) Yeah. And, and there's no voice that captures New York better, right. Than Frank Sinatra. So it, it's money. It's just money in the bag. That, that, that moment is, is perfect. Uh, And then I believe, it's the credit song as well, but it's Harry Connick singing it because Harry Connick does a lot of covers in this movie, which I'm not a huge fan of his, but I do love a lot of the songs that he's singing. Yeah, and then the opening credits is an instrumental version. It had to be you as kind of the soundtrack of this movie. Yeah, yeah correct. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I almost chose that. Uh, it's, a, it's a great, great call. And again, Sinatra in New York, love, like it's just perfect. <laughs> it just makes sense. Um, I chose when they get to New York uh, towards the beginning of the movie and he's like, have a nice life, you know, and she's like, you too, you know, Uh, the song that's playing is Louis Armstrong and Ella Fitzgerald. uh, Let's call the whole thing off. Uh, And that's, that song is fucking brilliant. You know, you say tomato, I say tomato, (laughs) potato, potato. (laughs) It's such a cool, lovely song and another good introduction to, to, a character in this movie, which is New York city. And I love that about it. I love how it is kind of, a you're kind of lost right there. Uh, especially when you first see this movie, you're kind of like, wait a minute, what the movie's called when Harry met Sally. So sure. They're going to, surely they're going to see each other again. You know, that's going to happen. But this song is kind of like, ah, you know, let's call the whole thing off. It's just kind of, kind of like a fuck it type song. You know, it, it is what it is, you know, and we'll see each other down the road. If that's, if that's meant to be. What makes me think of, you know, the people I've encountered in my life, like, you know, there's people, there's friends of mine now who I hadn't seen in years who I reconnected with by happenstance. It, it happens. And it's, it it's does. weird, but it's always cool. It always makes me think like, I'm supposed to know this person. Like mm. in some capacity, this person is supposed to be in my life. And I always just, you know, go with it. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is, that's one of the reasons I agree. I've, I've had that that happened and it makes you feel alive. It makes you feel like worth, worth being here. And that's one of, one of my favorite things about Magnolia. What's one why it's one of my favorite movies of all time, especially that, that moment when Philip Summer Hoffman is on the phone and he's like, this is the moment in the movie. <laughs> I don't know. He's like, I don't know how it goes, but this is why they put him in movies because it happens in real life. <laughs> and he's on the phone trying to reach, 
trying to reach Frank TJ Mackey's, you know, trying to reach him so he can talk to him. Cause he's like, I, I have your dad here. He wants to talk to you and I'm the only one who can make this happen. <laughs> you know, it gives, it gives you this sense of, of, of importance. And that's really cool when you feel like almost high on life, you know, and I, I love when that happens. I love when I see someone that I like used to work with and, and I genuinely had a connection with them and it just did it. It just didn't continue through text or whatever, you know, because we're just not like that. But I see them outside or I see them at a restaurant or whatever it is. And I, immediately we just pick back up where we were. And I, I love that about life. That's one of my favorite things. I also love that there's some people that you see from your past where you're like, I'm going to go the other way. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, try to try to have a fucking small talk conversation. You know, <laughs> I love when that happens too. It's like one of those funny, funny things about being a human where you meet people that you, it's not about not liking them. It's about, I don't feel like having the energy to, to do that, you know, to have that small talk, which is a lot, very true to Billy Crystal's Harry in this movie where he's like, he doesn't fuck with that. You know, <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't do that, that, that small talk shit. He wants to, he wants to actually have a conversation, actually talk about what's going on. I love that about him. I love his inclusion with, especially when he's talking to Sally later on in the movie and there he's, she's explaining her dream and he, he wants to know every little thing about it. I love, I love people like that. And I think Harry is as real as it gets, man. Yeah. Almost too real uh, for her at times. Uh, and I like that the movie kind of addresses that, that mm-hmm. there's certain people you have to kind of tailor yourself and only, only give them a, a certain piece of who you are. Yes. And your goal in life ultimately is to find someone that, you, that can accept the entire you. And yep, yep. some people don't find it and it's sad, but I hope that everybody finds at least, you know, pieces. Yes. Yeah. Somewhere, right? That's why you got to keep your eyes open, always. Yeah. Damn, these rom-coms, rom-com shit's getting to me, man. Yeah, yeah, dude, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you look in, the, look in the right places, you know, you can really, really find some cool stuff, yeah. Uh, great, great, good, good shit, good shit. Good Tarantino, good Inyos. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman Award. Who, who, who wins the movie, Meg Ryan or Billy Crystal? I, I love them both, but I had to give it to Billy Crystal. Yeah, same, same. Yeah, he's just... He's, like you said, he's full of, he's loaded with charisma and he just, he's so damn likable. He could be, he could be the most horrendous bastard in New York. And he kind of is at this movie, he's just sleeping his way through Manhattan, but <laughs> he's so charming. You can't help, but just be like, yeah, good for you. Like you're just, you love the journey because of these two, these two, you know, beautiful kids. And uh, <laughs> it's, yeah. And I love his, his, his journey of kind of, you know, realizing he's a shit and wanting to do better. And when he does end up sleeping with, with Sally, there is a moment of like, what have I done? And you see it in his eyes and he does, he portrays that fear and confusion and doubt so well. And Mm. she does too. And I, I just, I don't know what it is about Billy Crystal. I just, I've always fucking loved the guy. So I'm going to give him the, uh, the Philip Seymour Hoffman here. Yeah, yeah, I chose yeah basically for the same reasons. Uh, he's he's got a lot on his plate here, and he's doing a lot of different 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 things with with his character with Harry Burns. Uh, that scene in the diner, the famous Meg Ryan scene where she fakes the the orgasm like right in front of him, and the, the lady says, "I'll have what she's having." That's a great scene. 
but that that seems incredible between them two because he's explaining what he does how he treats women as these people he just doesn't want to really deal with he doesn't really want to confront any real emotions while talking to the girl that he would eventually have serious serious emotions for serious feelings for uh i i love love those scenes with him i love when they're at his apartment and he's finally getting furniture and he's like they're rolling out the carpet and like he needs her help you know to like figure out where it should go and all those things so he he's incredible in this movie and my introduction to him was when i was six years old and i saw monsters inc for the first time as mike lazowski and so now forever you know i cannot get that little green ball when i ball out of my head when i see him when i watch him and i love that i wouldn't fucking trade that for the world like he's he was a hero like a hero him and john goodman were actual heroes in my life as sully and mike and seeing them you know be be in these live action movies right it's just changes your whole perspective on them but you're always going to have that initial that initial childlike love for these people you don't even know <laughs> and i love that billy crystal's the man this is honestly probably the only time we'll ever really get to talk about him on this show and it's just not he's not going to come up all the time you know he's not one of those guys who's just going to show up on oscar sunday you know all the time like like someone like fucking jimmy stewart does or denzel washington or daniel day lewis you know these are guys that we've had tons of conversations about so i love getting guys like this every now and again that mean a whole lot i can think of a few i can think of at least four billy crystal movies we could do on this podcast so he'll be back monsters inc city slickers throw mama from the train the princess bride we got options he'll be back we got options we got options i just don't know when they're gonna be (laughs) you know um monsters inc was probably my intro to him as well uh, but I did see The Princess Bride really early on in my life, and he plays uh, Miracle Max, the weird little wizard man in the woods who brings Wesley back to life uh, with the chocolate pill. And it's such a great scene. Uh, he really, yeah, it's, it's, he's great. Uh, so I don't, I don't know where it started, but I've, I've kind of just always loved Billy Crystal. Yeah, he's great. He's wonderful. He's also a huge Los Angeles Clippers fan, so I've always, when I've watched basketball games, uh, Clippers games. He's he's at games all the time, and he just goes nuts. He fucking loves it. He's like one of the people, you know. He's just like one of the random people on the in the arena wearing a Clippers hat, going nuts, jumping up and down. And I, I love that. I love that part of him too. Where the Lakers got the really cool, calm, collected Jack Nicholson sitting on the sideline. The Clippers have fucking Billy Crystal losing his fucking mind <laughs> over over a basketball game. I love that. I would also like to point out Billy Crystal is one of the more consistently good Oscar hosts that we've had. Uh, yeah, he did the he did the show right after this one. Uh, he did the sixty third Academy Awards. He hosted that one, and yeah, he's he's wonderful. He's done it multiple times. He's great. Yeah, he's just likable. He's a charming dude. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> except for a few times in When Harry Met Sally. <laughs> yeah, but he got better. Yeah, he he does he does, and and ultimately, he's trying to be funny most of the time. You know, he's just trying to be fun, like take your mind away type guy who. You know, we've met, I've met guys like this before, you know, who are just like doing anything to have, they, they, they want to like have a conversation around the conversation. He, he's like a Seinfeld character in this movie where it's just like, let's pick apart every little thing about why this, why this doctor did this or why this waitress did this, you know, and they're just, they're just bullshitting, you know, they're just half the time they're, they're talking out of their ass. I love characters like that. Yeah, definitely. He's, yeah, he's, he's great. Yeah. Really, really cool that we can go from, Philip Seymour Hoffman 
getting this award last week to Billy Crystal. You know, I love that about this show. Uh, The Roger Deakins Award. What's your favorite scene in the movie? What's the best scene in the movie to you? It's, uh, I cycled through a few scenes. Um, I did have the fake orgasm because it was just so funny. And yeah. his, you can like, you know, him just trying to smile at people and being like, you know, it'll be <laughs> soon. <laughs> just, sorry about this. <laughs> and her just not giving a shit that she is yeah. the most interesting part of everyone's day in that yes. restaurant now. Yes. Um, I also, you know, the ending where he finally, you know, pours his heart out. It's great but there was one scene that I didn't expect to be so funny. And it was the, uh, the double date setup. Mm, That's the yes. scene I went with. I, the whole, the whole idea of like, they're both bringing somebody for their friend. And then the, the friends hit it off. <laughs> yeah. And I love that, that for me, the scene is the part of the scene that made it was right when they're both talking to their respective friends, it's Carrie Fisher and Bruno Kirby. And they're each saying like, look, yeah, you can hook up with their friend, but don't do it tonight. Wait a week. You know, they're very vulnerable right now. And as soon as they're together, they both take off in a cab. Yeah. Yep. Harry <laughs> and Sally are left there like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Back to where we were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, this. I was, that was great. I, I, I just, I like the, the comedic timing was great. I, I love seeing Carrie Fisher in that kind of a role. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was perfect. Yeah, yeah, we haven't really talked about either of them yet. Carrie Fisher is wonderful in this movie. From the first scene when she's, it's the three girlfriends hanging out and they're talking about like guys they've hooked up with. They're, and it, it, it's so cool because in, the, in this movie world, you know, most of these movies are based on a male perspective. Like, you know, just fucking doing whatever they want. Like you said, sleeping their way through Manhattan. That scene is, is like, to me, fucking empowering. It's these women who are just like, fuck it, he's married. I don't give a shit. You know, <laughs> I, I I think it's hilarious because it's 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 not empowering in the sense that it's like, oh, women doing amazing things. It's women being on par with with men and being having like a level ground, a fair ground for them to have these awesome lines. And that comes back to Nora Ephron writing the screenplay. Nora Ephron being in control of these characters and what they're saying. That's a big fucking deal when you have a female perspective you know, in the director's chair or, or writing the movie, there's going to be stuff like that in it. And I love, I love that about this movie. I love that Carrie Fisher and Meg Ryan have this, this freedom to just feels like they're able to really do whatever they want. And I love that about it because so many actresses in the, you know, seventies, eighties, nineties, and and definitely before were just held back, just held back and didn't get the right, didn't get the right stuff. Didn't get the right writing. Didn't get the right, characters to, to play so I, Carrie Fisher's amazing in this movie and I would I would say she even has a chance at the PSH if she had a few more scenes in the movie she's so good and I'm with you you know she's obviously Princess Leia but uh, I love seeing her outside of the Star Wars world because she's a damn good actress has serious had had serious chops and, and she's stunning she's gorgeous I, I love her in this movie Bruno Kirby is perfect as well in this movie from his mustache to his, his like bullshitting with Harry, like trying to keep him, you know, trying to keep him positive and stuff. I love him in this movie. That's a great scene. I chose something similar that deals with all four of them because them four together is gold is complete comedy gold. I chose the scene when they sleep with each other. uh, And (laughs) 
and Harry wakes up, is putting his clothes on, and Sally's like, where are you going? And he's like, oh, I got to go. I got to change my clothes. I got to go work. So do you. You know, he's clearly running from something. And he immediately goes and calls, calls his buddy. And then Sally calls her buddy, you know, so they're on the phone with Bruno Kirby and Carrie Fisher. So all four of them are on the phone. And it's this weird shot that just doesn't, it just wouldn't happen today because it's just, it's very late 80s. Uh, it's not like a split screen. It's the faded, faded screen where you see all the way on the left side of the screen, you see, uh, see Harry, see Billy Crystal. And then right in there in the middle, it's like a fade screen that you're clearly in a different room. And you see Bruno Kirby and Carrie Fisher next to each other in bed next to each other. And on the very right side of the screen, you see Meg Ryan, Sally, and they're on the phone with their friends. So (laughs) Billy Crystal and Bruno Kirby are talking on the phone about what just happened. And Meg Ryan and Carrie Fisher on the phone talking about what just happened. And it's a genius, genius scene where they're saying kind of the same things, right? (laughs) They're like, uh, but it's, but it's different perspectives. You know, it's, it's, it's Sally being like, yeah, I, I, something must've gone wrong. And Harry's like, no, it was great. You know, like, like sleeping with her is great, but I just don't know what to do now. You know, I don't, I don't know how to act now. And I think it's going to ruin our friendship and da, 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 da. it's such a wonderful scene. And then they both ask Bruno Kirby and Carrie Fisher, both ask them, you want to come over for breakfast? <laughs> and they look at each other like, oh, fuck, we just said the same thing. And they both decline. And they're like, okay, that's probably better. <laughs> How amazing would that have been if they all, all would have shown up for breakfast at the same place? I love that scene. I've always loved it. I think it's just kind of like a relic from, from the 80s where this kind of editing, this kind of filmmaking is just, just not done anymore because it looks, it looks very 80s. It looks very old, old school. But I love that about it. I think it's done really well. I prefer it you know, over, over some of the stuff they do now. I, I love split screen stuff when it's done the right way. But this has a cool look to it where you, you know you're in an old movie. You know, you're, you're in the hands of, of people that had much different technology than we do today. And I like that about it. I think it's cool. I think it's endearing. And uh, those four people together, again, just like, you're, just like your deacons, those four together, can't go wrong. It's a great pick. It's a great scene. I, my favorite part of that scene is both is uh, Fisher and Kirby's reactions to the fact <laughs> that Harry and Sally hooked up. They're both like... About time. Like we've been praying for it. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> uh, it's yeah, that's that's fantastic. We all need a friend like that. A friend who's always kind of pushing for us, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's genuinely rooting for you, you know. Uh I think everybody has that experience with friends who are kind of competitive with them. And then you have those friends who are genuinely like genuinely want to see you do well, see you succeed. And those are always the friends that last longer, right? Um, I think I've been both for different people. I think I've had my fair share of, you know, of issues with being almost rivals with my own friends, you know, where it's like, oh, I want to do better at this thing than them, you know? And sometimes it's not even has to, it doesn't even have to do with that person. It has to do with how people see you, you know, and your image to other people. But as I've gotten older, I just, I, uh, don't really give a shit what people think about me. I care what I think about me. And, and by, by doing that, I'm going to try to be as good as I can be to the people around me. And I love, love that these two characters, Bruno Kirby and Terry Fisher, just embody that. They embody rooting for somebody. Yeah, it's fantastic. I've always, I've never been the competitive friend. I've never really been all that competitive. I don't really care about <laughs> but that kind of bullshit. I just don't care we all get there when we get there, you know, life's not a yeah, race. Exactly. And, uh, but I've also, you know, I'm very selective with who I invite into my life. I actually talked about this 
last week on the Evil Dead filmgasm. I don't remember how it came up, but um, I remember talking about how like, oh yeah, there's an asshole friend in that movie. And I remember thinking like, I don't have any asshole friends because I don't hang out with assholes. <laughs> I've never, I've never had that. I'm always, I've always valued uh, quality over quantity when it comes to friends. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. I think smaller, tight, good circles is better than massive circles that don't, don't really mean a whole lot for sure. Yeah. This is a good, uh, insightful episode. Yeah. Went to a lot of places. had a lot of fun. Uh, talked a lot about the Oscar history and what we would change about it. Got to talk about rom-coms for, I guess the first time ever on this show. Uh, <laughs> very cool. I love it, man. Well, I guess, you know, I guess back in the day, the Oscars were really fond of, you know, musical comedy, romantic films, you know, that kind of stuff, but not so well, much in the past 30, 40 years. Well, it was Hollywood. I mean, that's what sold, you know, it was, they were yeah. easy to make and people wanted to see them. So they just churned them out. Uh, I'll always be grateful to Hello Dolly for killing that industry. <laughs> Destroying it. Yeah. Yes. You, me, me too. It's just not my, not my bag. <laughs> Uh, that's great. Uh, hey, yeah, this is this is a lot of fun. But we got we got some really cool shit happening this week. Uh, tomorrow, first sneak preview of uh, 2022. Uh, Caleb and Connor will be basically naming their top ten favorite movies from the past year, which is going to be a lot of fun to listen to. I can't wait to check that one out. Uh, hear what you guys have. Um, I would jump on there, but uh, if we did 30 movies in one episode, yeah. Too much, too much. We've, uh, we've I, I also haven't seen <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Leave that, leave that to the No Way Homes. Uh, I, I, I also have not seen nearly enough movies compared to other years. Uh, from 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 2021, I was just wasn't going to the theater a lot. wasn't really wasn't really jazzed about a lot of stuff that was coming out. Uh, I do love some stuff, but you know, like the licorice pizzas and the French Dispatch and No Way Home. But I'm not. I'm just not as well-versed as you guys are in, in, in more movies, you know? Well, here's the thing. Also, you know, first year of sneak preview, I was biting off way more than I could chew. I was seeing way too much. I was trying to fit everything I could into the span of about three days a week. And that includes, you know, theaters, Netflix, Prime, HBO, Disney Plus, everything. So for most of the year, I was just, I, I wasn't chewing my food. Mm. So, Next, this year is going to be a lot different. This year is going to be way more focused on what I actually want to see and what I actually want to talk about. So I've got 126 movies to choose from and make this top 10. Yeah. I have like 40, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Fuck, fuck, fuck that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> That's going to be really cool, though. I can't wait. That comes out tomorrow. I'm really excited to listen to that. Uh, that'll be your 53rd episode on sneak preview that's just that's just bonkers basically been, it's basically the year anniversary uh we started at the very beginning of january 2021 so gonna be gonna be very cool uh then on wednesday uh episode 170 fucking hell of uh filmgasm is killer clowns from outer space that's gonna be great i imagine that's uh you and josh or you and caleb uh probably me and josh caleb might uh jump in as well uh we'll cool. see but I, when i when i sent the the notification to the group uh, that the book had given us killer clowns. Josh sent back a video of the fucking cotton candy gun from the movie that he just has on his shelf. So he, he likes this movie. 
Yeah, yeah. Expect expect Josh to uh, to be bringing the pain on that one for sure. That's going to be awesome. Oh man! And then Friday, Friday, January seventh, first episode of Beyond the Bad, Batman and Robin. We cannot wait to unleash the show on you, motherfuckers. It's going to be, it's going to be like the evil stepbrother of Oscar Sunday. Connor and Caleb are going to be choosing movies, giving giving like negative awards out to it. I can't, I can't wait to listen to this shit. It's going to be so cool. That this is going to be the highlight of my week. I can already tell. We did. We recorded Batman and Robin about a month ago and just had a blast just having a place to bitch for an hour and a half and just complain about the worst parts of the industry, the worst parts of making a movie, studio interference, you know, people being assholes on set and just everything that happens to make a movie bad because it doesn't just fall out of the sky. So digging into this process is hilarious and crazy and it's, it's going to be a blast. The stuff we've got lined up over the next couple of months are some of the worst films in history, some of which I never even thought I'd ever bother to watch. Uh, but here we are. Hell yes. I can't wait, man. It's really cool. It's going to be fun to have a, a proper fourth show added to the mix and one that Caleb can just make his own. Can't wait. Uh, so please, 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 if you're going to do, if you're going to listen to anything this week from Filmgasm, that's the one that you should you should definitely circle on your calendar. Check that one out. It's really cool. Uh, and then next week on this show, oh boy, um, Connor and I, both of our birthdays are in January. Uh, yours is January 12th. Uh, mine is January 31st. So we both like to pick movies that are like very dear to our hearts for, for Oscar Sunday. So Connor uh, chose for next weekend, the Shawshank Redemption from 1994. Good God. Uh, it's the number one rated movie on IMDb. It was up for seven Oscars at the 67th Academy Awards. Didn't win anything, which is completely bonkers in my opinion. It was up for best picture, best actor in a lead role, Morgan Freeman, uh, best screenplay, uh, adapted screenplay, Frank Darabont, uh, best cinematography, Roger fucking Deakins, best sound, best film editing, and best original score, fucking Thomas Newman. So we got a lot of really cool motherfuckers to talk about next week. I'm sure we'll look at uh, that best picture group that is very fascinating. You know, you got Pulp Fiction and Shawshank, these two movies that have lived forever. You know, uh, Lion King came out that year. You know, yeah, it's just it's just a crazy, crazy year. It's gonna be a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of fun. I can't wait for that next week. Uh, but yeah, this is this is this is the end of our episode here. Uh, if you could follow us on Twitter or Instagram or, or both, whatever you want to do, just at Filmgasm, nice and easy. You can just check out random shit we're doing there. Check out our website, Filmgasm.com. We've got reviews there pretty much every day, written by Connor. Uh, we're gonna have uh, some more articles coming out that I'm writing. We're gonna try to try to do some more stuff on the site just to have more places to go for for people who love movies. So thank you for thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you. Well, hopefully we'll see you tomorrow for sneak preview, but if not, come back next week for sure. Oh yeah.